0: What's going on, guys? Welcome to the week 17. Believe it or not, week 17. Last week of the regular season preview predictions podcast. I'm gonna start things off with the Falcons, four eleven Falcons visiting the 10 and 5 Buccaneers. Tampa's a seven-point favorite. Over under is 50 in this one. So, um, yeah, so Tampa of as we pretty much all remember, I think it was just two weeks ago, went into Atlanta, was down 17-0 at the half, and you know, they were struggling. They were about to really put themselves in a bad spot but they came back in the second half uh won the game actually relatively comfortably considering they were down 17-0 and I believe even they were down 24 to 7 at one point if I'm not mistaken but Brady threw for over 300 in the second half Tampa wins the game they really shut down Atlanta's offense in that second half to Matt Ryan and uh, the offense were held to just 10 points in that half and uh look Tampa right now is one of those kind of vintage there's always that team where you try to find like the wild card team, or maybe the 2 seed that's that's playing really well um entering the playoffs but they're not they they haven't really done it all year long but you know they're talented enough and then entering the playoffs they're playing really well so right now the buccaneers are kind of one of those teams to me three straight wins and uh last week of course in, in Detroit I know everybody's making a huge deal about the competition that they played, but they went into Detroit and just completely dismantled the lions to the point where Tom Brady didn't even play in the second half. He had over 300 in the first half and they were just up so comfortably that the coaching staff was confident enough to just not even play Brady a snap in the second half. So, um, that should tell you something. The defense only allowed seven points last week and in the previous two quarters against Atlanta, like I said, just 10 points. So, um, they are, a defense now that is allowing just 16 points per game over the last three games. So that, um, you know, obviously everything's starting to click for Tampa right now, kind of in a way that we thought it might uh, earlier in the year, but now it makes sense the first year together in a COVID off season. You know, one thing that things kind of started off a little bit slow. Well, things are not slow anymore for Tampa. They are kind of really cranked up into high gear and, and, uh, and on the Falcon side of things, you look at them and when they, when they fired Dan Quinn, uh, Raheem Morris stepped up into the head coach interim head coaching role, and they started four and two with Raheem Morris. Unfortunately, now they've lost four straight games, so went from four and two to what four and six. And uh, in three of those games, here's the weird part, right? You would you would assume that Atlanta's problem is their defense, but that hasn't been the case. The defense has actually been the strength of this team for a far majority of these games, and. Uh, As a matter of fact, the offense has failed to score over 17 points in three of their last four games. So on this four-game losing streak they're currently on, the offense has scored 16, 17, 27, and 14. So just one game with a, you know, quote-unquote good point total, at least. So um, I'm taking the Buccaneers, man. I think they're just going to—I think they're a bad matchup for Atlanta, and I thought that way. If you guys remember just two weeks ago, entering this game, in uh, the first time around, I said Tampa was going to steamroll them, basically, uh, something along those lines, but I thought the Buccaneers uh, defense was very much a difficult matchup for that uh, Atlanta offense, and I thought that just the fact that Atlanta can't run the ball and no one can run it against Tampa, and then you've got pretty decent matchups on the outside there in terms of Tampa's secondary against the Atlanta receivers, even though... Carlton Davis, I think, is going to be out this game. Julio Jones is out for Atlanta. So it's sort of a, you know, and obviously Calvin Ridley might have a day, but, I mean, at the end of it, I don't think it's going to be enough, especially because if Tom Brady gives you anything close to what he's, what he's given you for the last two halves of football that he's played against Atlanta and Detroit, well, I think it's lights out. I think Atlanta, I'm sorry, I think Tampa wins this game, but I do believe it'll be a little less of an offensive juggernaut type of performance from Tampa. I think it'll be a nice performance, sort of a... Kind of a dominant effort from start to finish, but in a game that the final score is is closer than what the game was. I think it'll be 24-17. That's the under and a um that's a push, no cover there. All right. The six and nine cowboys at the five and ten Giants. This game, believe it or not, with these records, is for the division. And if Washington loses, so these two teams very much in the hunt. Dallas a one and a half point favorite on the road, and the Giants uh or the over-under is 44 and a half. So these two teams haven't played since week five, and that was the game where Dak Prescott was unfortunately injured. Um, Dallas won that game 37-34 in and in a kind of a comeback win. Weird, weird, weird to say that because Dallas actually had the lead at halftime in a game that they that they started off losing seventeen to three. So I think um, the Giants have to run the football better than what they did in the first game. They, they didn't. They ran it twenty-seven times for eighty-nine yards. Uh, they did have two touchdowns, but that first game, the efficiency in terms of the run run game for New York was not there. And that's an area where they've really been inconsistent all season. And that's something they should be able to do against this Dallas run defense that is currently the 32nd, obviously dead last run defense in the NFL. They allow uh, over 161 yards a game and over the last three games. They have basically been allowing the same thing, well over 150 in in that time. So it's not like they're necessarily improving all that much in terms of against the run, although some of those numbers have been skewed by quarterback runs. But nonetheless, one way or the other, the Dallas Cowboys are allowing yards on the ground, whereas they've actually been really good, I mean solid, I should say, against the pass lately. They uh, they're 11th against the pass in the regular season, just a uh, total there in terms of yards per game allowed. And and offensively, this Dallas offense, I think we all know is hot. I mean, they, they've they won three games in a row and they've won four out of six. So uh, in that time, they're averaging 28 points a game. So in the Giants are kind of on the opposite end of that in terms of their offense is struggling. Right. They haven't scored 20 points since week 10. That's five straight games with under 20 points for this Giants team. And granted, they've been able to win some of those games just because their defense is so good. And guys, that's what people don't understand. Like the the fact that the Giants, like people don't really look at their defense even now as a top five, the top 10 unit. They really don't. But the thing is, sometimes they'll have weeks like the game against the Ravens. I think it was last week where. You watch that game and you're like, well, the Giants defense isn't that great, right? They The Ravens, I think, scored 27 points and it was kind of like, you know, that they, they got down early. But here's the thing. When you have an offense that's playing badly, like cannot move the ball, is constantly giving the ball back to the opposing team, man, that puts your defense in a really rough situation because you can get a three and out and get a stop and then immediately you're right back on the field and or... You can have a 10 play drive that the opposing team has against you and you get a fourth down stop. And now three plays later, you're back on the field, right? You're tired, man. And once the fourth, you know, third, fourth quarter rolls around, if you, if in that situation, you're you're tired, that defense is exhausted. And that's kind of what was happening against the Ravens for them last week. So the Giants defense is still very much legitimate, a, a very good playoff caliber unit. And, um, it's just they're going to need the offense's help in this game. I think we really need to see some Daniel Jones runs if he's healthy enough. I think that's something that, you know, he absolutely has to do because, like I said, Dallas is playing pretty well again in terms of how they defend the pass. So New York is going to have to be able to manufacture some rushing offense and some offense in some ways. I think that early runs from Daniel Jones are something that I look for in this game for the Giants because, I mean, I really think that that's that's something that will work for them. He's really good as a runner too. So, um, and uh, let's see here. So, yeah, I mean, when you go five straight games without scoring twenty points, I mean, that's that's like in two thousand twenty, especially with the way offenses can score nowadays. I mean, that's that's not uh, good production, right? So, it honestly, to me, it all comes down to how well the Giants run the football. Um, I'm going to take the Dallas Cowboys in this game just because. I have more confidence that Dallas is going to uh, be able to score more points than, than the Giants. I mean, I really do. I, I think the Giants are – if I was a Giants fan, I'd still be excited about my team in, in the near future. And, and right now, I mean, really in 2021, I, I expect them to make the playoffs, to be honest. But I just don't think that right this second, I don't think they can beat Dallas this week. I think Dallas wins a, a close one, 23-17. to 17. That's the under, and that is a – uh, Giants. I'm sorry, a Dallas cover. because It's only one and a half point spread. But um, in terms what the Giants need is they just need more time. I think that their offense line more time together to kind of develop. And I think they need, you know, at least one more, at least one more weapon in the passing game as a receiver. Um, you know, Evan Ingram's been good, but they have not gotten as much production out of the receiving core as I, as I expected them to this year. Slayton, has been kind of I mean everybody's been a little bit underwhelming there for the Giants and a lot of that has to do with the fact that they haven't been able to protect Daniel Jones or whoever the quarterback is consistently and in this game I think that like I said man I just trust the Cowboys a little bit more going with the hot hand here too. All right, the 2 and 13 Jets at the 6 and 9 Patriots. Patriots are 3 point favorites. Over under is 39 and a half. So, believe it or not, the New York Jets are on a winning streak right now. They won two games in a row, and the Patriots have lost three in a row. So that's kind of the opposite of where you would think these two teams are uh, at this time of year. But nonetheless, that's where we're at. The Jets' defense has held their last two opponents, which, by the way, have been the Rams and the Browns, two teams that are in the playoffs, at least at the time of playing New York. Uh, they've held their last two opponents to 20 points and then 16 points. So seven sacks in those games for their defense, and including four against Baker Mayfield. Now, I know the Browns were without some of their uh, starters along the offensive line, but nonetheless, man, you're talking about a Jets defense that undeniably is playing much better football lately, and then you're you're matching them up against a Patriots offense that has scored 24 points over the last three games. Like, yes, eight points a game, right? That's, that's awful. I can't even believe I'm saying that about the Patriots at this time of year, and I know... Um, You know, I'm not going to put it all on Cam Newton by any means, but he has to play better. You know, he was benched last week for Stidham in the third quarter. I think, you know, uh, the whole Patriots just idea of not having much to work with at the receivers positions or tight end positions is really tough to, you know, to uh, manufacture offense with there. And then the fact that they have this reputation for having this awesome offensive line when the reality is their offensive line is good. They're good run blockers. They're not guys that that you want to, you know, that's why the Patriots are consistently not trying to put whoever their quarterback is in position to be dropping back a whole lot of, you know, and in, in kind of with a lot of time to pass, right? They're not they're not expecting that from their offensive linemen. They know they need to run first. And then th- when they do throw the ball, they do it off of play action. Now, Cam Newton in the first game against the Jets had uh, completed 27 of his 35 passes at 77%. 274 yards. He had a QBR of 91.6, which is awesome, by the way. Um, 10 carries for 16 yards and two touchdowns. So in that game, the Patriots were able to run the ball pretty effectively, 41 times for 159 and three scores. That's about four yards a carry. And then Jacoby Myers that night, if you guys remember, it was, I believe on Monday Night Football, had his uh, coming out party of sorts, 12 catches for 169 yards. And, uh, Joe Flacco on the Jets side of things, he play, play, started that game and he played phenomenally well. I mean, he was really able to, to challenge the Patriots deep down the football field with shots to Brashad uh, Perryman um, and really was able to find some kind of chinks in the arm of J.C. Jackson there. So um, Flacco, by the way, had a 96.5 QBR in that game. So in this game, I know everything's kind of s- uh, slightly tilting towards the Jets, but I'm going with the Patriots here because – I think they're gonna come out with that championship pedigree that they've established in the culture there. I think they're gonna win this game handily. 27 to 13. That's the over. And that is a New England cover, by the way. So I just like nothing against the Jets. I I, I like what they're doing. I like that they're not quitting, and I think they're gonna be competitive for at least part of this game. But ultimately, I trust New England to win more. I think this means a lot for Cam Newton and his career and just kind of like how he finishes seasons. Typically, has been strong, and I think Belichick's going to have a plan for Sam Darnold. I think that uh, Joe Flacco played well against the Patriots in that first game, but Sam Darnold has not shown that he can do that. So, I'm taking the Pats 27 13. All right, the six and nine Vikings at the five and ten Lions. Minnesota is a six and a half point favorite. The over under in this one is 54. That to me is very interesting because there's no Matthew Stafford and no Dalvin Cook. So um, you know, Minnesota won the first meeting between these two teams 34 to 20, which ironically adds up to exactly 54 points. So I'm not quite sure if that's, you know, partly where they're getting the over under for this one. But to me, that over under seems a bit high, especially because if you take away last week's performance against the Saints, this Vikings defense has gotten better as the season went uh, has progressed. But obviously, the Lions have been able to run the football lately, and they ran well in the first game against Minnesota, twenty-seven for one uh, for one twenty-nine, uh, led by DeAndre Swift now, that one, by the way, thirteen carries for sixty-four yards. But I think that that is the one area where the Detroit Lions could have success offensively. But if they can't run the ball, I don't I don't see them scoring you know, I'm not quite sure they'll even get to 20 points. So ultimately, I think that Mike Zimmer's defense, especially after the way Zimmer called them out last week, basically said that they weren't good. I think that they're going to come out ready to earn their jobs for 2021, especially those guys up front. Like if there's ever a time for you to step up and play a good game, you know, it's going to be right now because your coach just said you guys suck. That means you're on notice. If you're a defensive player, especially one on that up, you know, front four, like your job's up for grabs. I think Mike Zimmer and them are going to be very aggressive this offseason in improving that defense. Because I promise you, Mike Zimmer's not going to want to come in here in 2021 and talk about his defense not being a good unit. Um, in the last game, these two teams played. Dalvin Cook ran wild, and of course, it will hurt not having him there. He had 22 carries for 206 yards and two scores in that game. It's almost nine and a half yards per carry. But the good news for Minnesota is Alexander Madison in that game had 12 carries for 69 yards. So he showed that he can run against this Detroit defense as well. And um, yeah, man. So in this one, I'm going with the Minnesota Vikings because ultimately I think they're going to bounce back. I think they're going to, like I said, the defensive players on that Vikings front, especially are going to come out and challenge themselves. I think they're going to accept that challenge. They win 30 to 17. No Stafford, man. I I mean, Stafford, um, is not playing like I said and I I just chase Daniels and good backup but right now I'm taking the Vikings it just seems like a much more trustworthy proposition to me so next game 12 and 3 Steelers at the 10 and 5 Browns so Cleveland is an eight and a half point favorite the over under in this one is 42 and a half Cleveland all year long and you guys have heard me say this they've been able to beat the teams that you're quote unquote supposed to beat right the most of the season other than last week of course and that that uh, tough loss to the New York Jets. Um, This one, they win, they're in the playoffs. So obviously there's a lot riding on this one for Cleveland. The Browns are three and seven against the spread in the last 10 games. So the covering part of that, I'm not quite sure on, but I want to take one second real quick just to talk about the Pittsburgh Steelers and kind of what I think they're going to come into this game with, right? Ben's not playing and it wouldn't surprise me if they benched several starters, right? especially like guys like TJ watt. But for me, Pittsburgh beat this Cleveland team 38 to seven back in week six. Right. In that game, Ben, Ben had like 150 yards passing. So it wasn't like, you know, he just, you know, ran them over. So I, I don't necessarily think they need Ben Roethlisberger to, um, to be able to get, make this game competitive and close. And, and by the way, Bud Dupree in that first game for Pittsburgh had two sacks and, uh, Two tackles for a loss, and of course, unfortunately, he is done for the season. So it will be the Mason-Rudolph revenge game, and Miles Garrett has been, as you guys probably know by now, named a team captain for this game, and he'll be out there uh, to call heads or tails for kickoff. So that is very interesting. And to me, I think Pittsburgh is the kind of team where a, a lot of other teams, like, for example, the Chiefs this week, I don't necessarily know if the Chiefs are going to really care about winning. Pittsburgh, even though they're not playing Ben, and maybe even other starters, they're going to come out there ready to win this game. They're going to come out with a little bit of like, you know, that kind of, we want to ruin your season with our backup quarterback, Cleveland. And I think Mason Rudolph is going to, uh, I, th- I mean, I expect him to to come prepared and ready to play because, in all honesty, this is a huge opportunity for Mason Rudolph. Like, if you go out there, if you're Mason Rudolph, you go out there and light it up against this Browns team, and you get a win, right? 300 yards and two touchdowns, something like that, you or whatever. You play well, and you and you are a reason why you beat the Browns and effectively, potentially at least, in their playoff hopes. That right there is one hell of a resume. We saw in a very similar situation two years ago, Teddy Bridgewater uh, w- had this same opportunity against the Carolina Panthers, and he did not play well. And unfortunately for, for him, I believe he that ended up leading to him having to, to, uh, to play one more year behind Drew Brees in New Orleans, and then ultimately he gets his opportunity that next year, he plays well, and that was his audition. But it could have possibly even happen one year earlier for Teddy if he played well in this kind of a game. Same uh, very similar situation here. So Mason Rudolph I think that's a big game for him and obviously with it being against the Browns and the whole Miles Garrett thing like uh, you know that right there could play a factor into why Mason Rudolph tries especially hard to have a, a productive game and I, and I just think the Steelers with the culture that they've established there for all these years and I mean you can literally go back five decades. It's the same culture like we're tougher than you. We win games. We don't care who's our quarterback. Like if you guys remember, it's like seven, eight years ago, nine years ago, they had Charlie batch starting when Ben was suspended or, or whatever it was hurt for those three, four games. They're like three and one after four games. Like this team wins games with backup quarterbacks a lot, right? They do it. I mean, look at them last year. They had whoever the hell was in there and they were able to win games. So don't discount them. Just because Ben Rothersburg is not playing. I mean, they almost made the playoffs last year without Ben and they started 0-3. Right. So uh, you know, do not mistake this thing for an easy Cleveland victory. And I and I would not, under any circumstances, I would not bet Cleveland minus eight and a half. I'm not laying the points. So I will take the Browns and win this game. I'll take it 20 to 17. That's the a Pittsburgh Steelers cover, but the under and a Browns win. All right, the 10 and 5 Ravens at the Four 10 and one Bengals. This is another game where I'm going to advise you do not sleep on the Cincinnati Bengals. They have won two in a row, and they are a team that right now is a 13 and a half point underdog over under 44. But ultimately, look, I know the Bengals have not had a good season, right? Baltimore dominated them in the first game 27 to three. It was Joe Burrow's worst game of his season, of his career so far. He had a QBR in that game of 5.4 right? Couldn't even crack a 10 on a scale of 100. So that's not good. Cincinnati in that game had zero run game, right? They they were not able to do anything. As a matter of fact, they, don't, they scored their only points, which was a field goal with 32 seconds left in the game. So it was an absolute beatdown by the Baltimore Ravens. Now in that game, Joe Burrow was sacked seven times. Uh, and look, this is with Lamar Jackson not even having a good game. He was 19 of 37. That's 4.9 yards per attempt, 180 yards Two touchdowns, one pick, and the Ravens were able to run the ball pretty well. 24 carries, 161 yards. That's almost seven yards per carry. But the last two games for Cincinnati, this offense is different, right? Something has changed. Something is clicking. Uh, You know, Whatever it is, I think it's going to save Zach Taylor's job, at least for one more season. Brandon Allen, in the last two games that he's played, he's completing almost 77% of his passes, averaging 294 yards a game, eight yards an attempt three touchdowns, zero picks, and get this, zero sacks. He's only been pressured seven times in those two games. So this, to me, is the Cincinnati Bengals' Super Bowl game, right? It really is because you're trying to establish a culture. Um, You know, obviously tanking and trying to lose is not real, but Cincinnati is in a situation where they know they have their quarterback, right? They're not, at least this point, they, they are going to feel very comfortable about having Joe Burrow. So it's not going to be like that, you know, Oh, we're, like they want to lose this game to get that extra draft spot. No, they're now they're, they've got their young quarterback. They're looking to build for the present and the future. And and that starts by learning how to win games and a win right here for the Cincinnati Bengals. I touched on this in the other, in a podcast the other day, the, a win in this game for Cincinnati would be so crucial for their culture and their belief and momentum heading into the off season. the whole buzz around cincinnati would be different right it really would people will be talking about this like wow joe burrow is going to be back for week one you know they added x y and z and free agency in the draft now look out we could have a you know a, a wild card team in cincinnati that would be the the hope but if you look at it and you go in there and you just get dominated again by baltimore and by the way this is a must win game for baltimore if they win they're in the playoffs so that's why it would be even more of a big deal for the Bengals. but if you go out there and you get dominated. You know, obviously that's going to just uh, deflate the uh, fan base just a little bit heading into this next season. I think there will be there will be optimism either way. But I think if you beat Baltimore without Burrow or even if you lose like 24-27 on a last-second field goal, that would be, to me, uh, you know, I don't want to say moral victory, but it would be encouraging, right? So I think this game is going to be closer than what the uh, Vegas Lions have it at. Third, uh, right now it's Baltimore minus 13 and a half. I'm very interested in if if I'm betting this weekend to uh, include this game as part of a teaser and have Cincinnati at plus 19 and a half or plus 20 and a half. And uh, yeah, so ultimately, I'm going to stick with the Ravens here. I don't think I don't think Cincinnati is going to beat them because it's such a big game for them. But ultimately, I I think Baltimore wins 20 to 17. So that's the Cincinnati cover. Ravens win and the under. Okay. Next game is going to be the 10 and 5 Dolphins at the 12 and 3 Buffalo Bills. Bills are two are two point favorites over/unders 43. So in the first meeting, if you guys remember back in week 2, Buffalo went into Miami, beat them 31-28. Josh Allen had 415 pass yards, four touchdowns and zero interceptions. Excuse me guys. Um it was a 17-13 game heading into the fourth quarter. Right? So it was just a kind of what we would all expect that to be like, okay, good defense can be played on both sides of the ball. You know, Josh Allen makes a couple plays with his legs and his arms and, you know, that, and then all of a sudden these two teams erupted to score 29 combined points in the fourth quarter. Um, By the way, Josh Allen had a 97 QBR in that game. So essentially by ESPN's QBR metric, he had a damn near a perfect game, right? 97% of a perfect game. So uh, Miami, in that game, they took the fourth, they took a lead in the fourth quarter. They were up 20 to 17. And at that point, Buffalo responded with two touchdowns in a row to essentially ice the game. So it's gonna be very interesting to see. Number one, Sean McDermott mentioned that he wasn't quite sure if he was gonna play his starters. And to me, that's very interesting because I believe Buffalo is still in the driver's seat for the two seed, but if they were to lose and Pittsburgh wins, then Pittsburgh would have the two seed. So I don't know why you would just throw, throw that away, especially when your quarterback is, and believe me when I say this, his teammates want him to get the MVP. He's still in the MVP race. If Aaron Rodgers has a, who by the way is playing against the Bears this week, which that's a, you know, that has been a defense that's shown promise at least, if nothing else this season. If he has a bad game against against Chicago, Mahomes isn't playing. If Allen goes for 404 touchdowns again, it's going to be awfully hard It's going to be a conversation, okay? I think Aaron Rodgers would still win it, but I would give it to Josh Allen if it were up to me in that case, and uh, it's going to be a real conversation if that happens. So I think that that's another reason to play your starters. If you're Sean McDermott, look, Buffalo is peaking right now. To me, if you go in there and just essentially you know, allow Miami to beat you, allow your division rivals to get into the playoffs, allow your team to have their momentum disrupted – I don't think that's a smart move, you know, and and I think that that could easily trickle over into next week and, and, uh, you know, potentially allow, put, put Baltimore in a vulnerable situation. So I think there are many reasons for, for, uh, I'm sorry, not Baltimore, Buffalo. There are many reasons for Buffalo to want to win this game. And also like, I think there's a scenario in which Miami could play Buffalo next week again, right? So why wouldn't you just want to eliminate them from the playoffs and just have your playoffs start one week early this is a playoff game. Let's go ahead and get rid of the Dolphins, right? We don't we don't want our we don't want to see them back to back games, anyways. Let's get let's get rid of them and uh, let's keep, let's sustain our momentum, right? And even if you don't want to think about it in that way, where you're you know let's get rid of the Dolphins. This is a playoff game. If you don't want to think about it like that, fine. But what, in my opinion, you should think about it as is do it for yourselves. Keep your momentum rolling. Keep your focus you know, keep that good, those good vibes and the winning feeling going and, and go ahead and get yourself a win. Um, Miami, obviously their defense has been really tough to score on for the last few months, with the exception of just a few games. They've only allowed more than 21 points three times in the last 11 games. And that was to the Arizona Cardinals, the Kansas City Chiefs, and uh, the Vegas Raiders just last week. So um, over that last 11 games, they're allowing 16.9 points per game, which is obviously um, you know, evident that they're a top 10, at least top 10, maybe even top five defense right now. So um, over the uh, whole Tua Tagovailoa thing is going to be very interesting to me in this game, particularly because the, uh, the Buffalo Bills defense has been playing very well. So Tua against this version of the Buffalo defense is a scary proposition, and it would not surprise me one bit if we see Ryan Fitzpatrick in this game. It it really wouldn't, because I believe that, um, look, Buffalo, since their bye week, has allowed just 16.8 points per game. They allowed just nine last week against New England in New England. And to me, if Miami can't run the football, which they have shown at times that they have the ability to do. And in the first game, they were able to run 22 carries, 99 yards and a touchdown. If they can't run the football, I think two is in trouble because Sean McDermott is just so damn tricky with what he's able to do on that with the back end and just how he's able to disguise coverages and things like that. I think Tua is going to have a really hard time because if you're looking for guys to come like Tua does and he wants them to be wide open before he delivers the football, you're going to see Tua holding the ball a lot and you're going to see the Buffalo Bills rallying um, to uh, corral him and get some sacks or get some pressure on him if nothing else. Over the last three weeks, one last note in this Buffalo pass defense, last three games, Buffalo was allowing 3.9 yards per pass attempt best in the league. So um, this game could get ugly for Miami. I think Buffalo comes out and I think they do play their starters and I'm taking them to win this game 28, 20. And by the way, no disrespect to dolphins fans, but this game, might be in my lock of the weeks. So I'm just saying that right now. All right. That's the over in a Buffalo cover, by the way. So now the 11 and four Seahawks at the six and nine 49ers. Seattle is a seven point favorite. The over under in this one is 46. So Seattle, by the way, guys, believe it or not, <laughs> is not out of the race for the one seed. There is a world, and it's a pretty, it's not a crazy idea where Seattle can get the one seed you know, going into the playoffs and have the, have the um, home field advantage right there. So that would be crazy because Seattle hasn't been in position for the one seed for at least half a season, maybe even the whole season. I'm not sure, but that for a while now they've been kind of that third, you know, third or worse seed. So for them to go, you know, last week where they were not even in the lead in their division and go over the final two weeks where they end up stealing the one seed, that would be, Pretty incredible. So last time these guys played with the uh, 49ers and Seahawks, it was a Seattle had a 30 to seven lead in the fourth quarter. Nick Mullins then came in and orchestrated three fourth quarter touchdown drives to make the final score look, you know, relatively respectable at <clears> 37 27. But in that game, the Seattle defense played well. They, they really did. They they for most of the game, San Francisco couldn't get anything going. That was actually the game where Jimmy Garoppolo got hurt. Brandon Ayuk in that one did have eight catches for 91 yards and a score, but he's not playing in this game. DK Metcalf had 12 catches for 161 yards and two scores in that game. Um, It was surprising to me that San Francisco couldn't run the ball at all because even though Seattle has a good run defense, a very good run defense, for for San Francisco to run the ball 22 times for 52 yards, that's a little bit weird to me, and that means it's a little bit impressive by Seattle, I should say. In that game, by the way, the San Francisco running backs were Jermichael Hasty, Tevin Coleman, and Jerick McKinnon. So obviously, in this one, we're going to see a heavy dose of the Jeff Wilson dude who's been absolutely balling and really has been every time he gets his reps. So, um, so yeah, man, I think that the this is a really good matchup. It's gonna be very interesting to watch the Seattle uh defense against Shanahan the second time around. You know, Shanahan's gonna have some tricks up his sleeve to try and bounce back in terms of how he wants his team to uh, not only finish the season, but to just bounce back against Seattle because they really had a hard time um, for most of that game on the offensive side of the ball. And when you look at, look, this Russell Wilson and Seattle offensively have been struggling, right? San Francisco is a good run defense, so it's going to be it's not going to be easy to run the football against them. And it's going to be interesting to see how Russell Wilson plays the week before playoffs start, right? Does he come out there and actually have, one of his Russell Wilson like games, like the first game against San Francisco, he had he was twenty seven of thirty seven, uh, two sixty one. That's seven point one yards per attempt, so not great but good. And then four touchdowns, zero picks, had a QBR of ninety one point four. I think in that in uh, if we can get one of those performances from Russell for Seahawks fans, that will you know I think that's an easy win for Seattle. But if it's not, I could easily see this game. Being, you know, a very close, very much down to the wire game and kind of a low scoring 24 to 20 type of game. So um, ultimately, I'm taking the Seahawks because I believe that they are a team that I trust when 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 push comes to shove and it's big time situations. Week 17, more often than not, Seattle's going to come out and win, especially um, because they know that San Francisco beat them last year, right? They know that, and they did it by literally a, a yard or whatever it was. So, um, I'm taking Seattle to win this game, 28-21. That's the Seahawks' push and the over. Next up is the eight and seven Cardinals at the nine and six Rams. So, uh, the Cardinals are three point favorites on the road. The over/under is 40 and a half in this game, and it's very unfortunate, guys. We have no Jared Goff for the Rams. No Cooper Cup for the Rams and no Cam Akers for the Rams. So that's kind of your three-headed monster there on offense. Just very unfortunately is out for this game. Um Kyler Murray is likely to play. So that's good news for Arizona. And that's basically the reason that they are three-point favorites in this game, even though it's on the road. First meeting, which was in week 13, the Rams came back, or the Rams won that game 38 to 28. Kyler Murray struggled in that one, man. He was 21 of 39, so 54%. 173 yards only averaged 4.4 yards an attempt. And by the way, if you guys recall, he threw like a 60-yard touchdown on the first uh in the first quarter of that game. So, for him to have finished that game on his other 20 completions to have like 113 yards or whatever it was, 115 yards, that is obviously not very good. It's a tough matchup for them from a from a personnel standpoint, you know, and also Um, because the Rams defense is so athletic and they can penetrate up front with Aaron Donald and and Leonard Floyd's playing pretty well this year. uh, It makes Kyler struggle as a runner as well as a passer, right? So he's five carries last game for 15 yards against them. So I think it's going to be an ugly game. Look, there's a quarterback for the Rams starting. His name is John Wolford. He's making his debut. He's never thrown a pass in a regular season game. Um, And I believe the last time he played anything in the NFL was a preseason game in 2018 where he was playing. I believe it was for the Jets at the time or for the Eagles, one of the two. And he was eight out of 20 for 89 yards, zero touchdowns, one pick. So that's what you've got for the Rams. So uh, as terms of quarterback. So all the people that think that it's all Sean McVay and Jared Goff isn't, you know, isn't uh, shit, basically, because you guys a lot of people say that if you really believe that, well, then this kid, John Wolford should be able to come out there and play good football, right? I mean, don't back off now. If you think Jared Goff is is that trash, um, then this kid should be able to come out there and look efficient, right? He should look at least like Nick Mullins looks or, or, you know, even CJ Beathard looks with Kyle Shanahan. But uh, obviously I'm being a little bit sarcastic there, but I also believe that Blake Bortles is on the roster for the Rams. So maybe, just maybe we end up seeing him. Um, I think that's a Possible situation because this Cardinals defense is pretty good, and um, if Wolford's struggling early on, I think that they'll go ahead and pull the plug. Guys, how could I pick anybody but Arizona in this game? I mean, I, I last last time these two teams played, I was very, very close. I even mentioned, I believe, on the podcast, to putting the Rams as my lock of the week because it's just that bad of a matchup for Arizona in this game. I, I'm. Almost reverse because you've got so many crucial injuries in the, in those for those spots for um, the Rams. And, you know, at the end of the day, Kyler Murray's playing and the Cardinals have to win this game. So I'm taking Arizona to win it 20 to 13 in an ugly, you know, not all that flashy of a game. Uh, I think it's going to be an ugly one. Arizona covers and that's the under. All right, the 1-14 Jaguars at 10-5 and 5 Colts. The Colts are 14-point favorites over under, and this one is 49-and-a-half. So, obviously, the only win the Jaguars have all season long came in week one against the Colts, where um, Gardner Minshew was the quarterback at that time. Now, in this one, we've got Mike Glennon. Glennon, uh, this season, has completed 62% of his passes, averages 203 yards a game through the air, Averages 5.9 yards per attempt, five touchdowns, five interceptions, right? So I'm not going to get into the like their tanking type of thing, but I am certainly confused as to why they are starting Mike Lennon consistently over Gardner Minshew. Maybe it's because they want to trade Minshew. That's, you know, they know their season's over, they want to trade Minshew. But in that case, it's like, why wouldn't you just play Jake Luton? You know what I mean? Like if you you see Jake Luton is a guy that is a young guy that you don't know what you have in him quite yet. Obviously he he struggled some in, in the couple games that he has played, but I think that playing Mike Lennon literally does nothing for you, nothing. And I and he's not playing well. Like if you look at his numbers compared to Luton's, they're about the same, right? I I mean I, I would. Most certainly be starting Jake Luton in this game. If not, I'm not starting Minshew. So Indianapolis is in a must-win game, and the Colts need some help. So I expect Indy to bounce back strong after allowing Pittsburgh to come back and beat them last week. I'm taking the Colts 28 to 14. And by the way, guys, the over-under in this game is 49 and a half, right? I as you can see I have it as the under. The Jaguars last three weeks. Here are their point totals: 10, 14, 17. Take the under with confidence. All right, 10 and 5, Titans at the 4 and 11 Texans. So um, the Titans are seven and a half point favorites over under, and this one is 56 points. And uh, obviously, it's a must win for Tennessee. Isn't it crazy that the Tennessee Titans are still in a situation where they could outright miss the playoffs? <laughs> that scenario is if they lose to Houston and the Dolphins, Ravens, and Colts win. It's, you know, Dolphins play Buffalo, who supposedly might bench their starters. The Ravens play the Bengals, so that's going to be a win most likely. And the Colts play the Jaguars. So it really, it's not impossible at all for the Titans to completely miss the playoffs, which to me would be just, it would feel so weird, especially considering we're we're letting an additional team in uh, to the 2020 playoffs on each conference. So that would be crazy. First meeting between these two teams, Tennessee won it in overtime. And before you say, you know, oh, the Titans aren't going to lose to the Texans, guys, the Texans took the lead in that game with a minute 50 to go. They took a seven point lead. Ryan Tannehill then had to drive his team down the field. And he did that through a game winning touchdown pass to A.J. Brown with just four seconds left. And then. In the ensuing possession in overtime, Tannehill went down the field and I believe it was a Derrick Henry rushing touchdown. Henry, speaking of in that game, by the way, Houston is the 31st ranked run defense in the NFL. Derrick Henry in their first meeting, 22 carries for 212 yards and two touchdowns. So uh, I think it's almost 10 yards a carry. So obviously, um, they know how to run the ball against this Houston team. In that game, in the first game, Deshaun Watson was good, as usual. He's 28 of 37, 335. That's nine yards an attempt, uh, four touchdowns, no picks, had a 94 quarterback uh, QBR in that game, ESPN's QBR. And, um, you know, like I said, I think this game is really and truly going to come down to can the Houston Texans run defense come out with some level of self respect? And I think J.J. Watt, if you watched his viral. Post game press conference from uh, last week. Obviously, he's going to come out ready and he's going to come out wanting his team to be ready. But at the end of the day, man, sometimes you just don't have the talent. So it's going to be interesting to see how Houston defends this guy because, like I said, Houston's 31st against the run on the season. And over the last three games, it hasn't gotten any better. They're allowing actually four more yards per game at 155 per game over the last three. So I think the Titans win this game. It'll be a close one. I think the Titans fans will have to sweat it out a little bit, but ultimately I think that this team, this Tennessee Titans team has some kind of some pedigree to them that I just believe in a little bit for them to not lose a game like this. And uh, so, yeah, that's Houston actually going to cover and that is the over. Okay, let's move on to the Raiders and Broncos game. Raiders are 7 and 8, Broncos 5 and 10. Raiders are 3 point favorites in this game. Over under here is 50.5. So, the uh, Las Vegas Raiders this year man, they started 6 and 3 and have since lost 5 of 6 games including three straight losses. They did beat Denver 37 to 12 in their first meeting. Um they picked Drew Locke four times, sacked him twice. And the Raiders were able to just really maul the Broncos in terms of the, how they ran the ball on them. 44 carries, 203 and four touchdowns. It's five yards a carry. And, you know, just 44 carries is what I love about that. Because if you look at this Bronco defense, especially uh, you saw this in the last time they played the Chiefs, they are a very difficult team to pass the ball on, right? Like Patrick Mahomes struggled both games against him this year. He struggled. And so I liked that The Raiders were just like, no, we're not even going to try that. Derek Carr had under 200 yards passing in this game, but it was because they didn't really try. They were like, we know what you can't do. And we know what you can do. Therefore, we're going to make you do what you struggle to do. And we're going to run the ball down at you. So Denver has lost four or five games. And so that's obviously not good. They're 26 against the run. And I think that in this game, first and foremost, they have to stop that Raider run game because if they can't do that early, John Gruden is going to give them a heavy, heavy dose of that again, or at least I think he is. And if they do stop the run on the flip side, it's going to be very difficult for the Raiders to score points. It's going to be very, very difficult because it's difficult for anybody to score points when you can't run the football against this Broncos defense. And that is if you... Similar to what I said about the Giants earlier, if you have an offense that's not being productive and not sustaining drives and not helping out your defense in terms of time of possession things like that, it's difficult to play really good defense, right? And that's something the Broncos have for the most part of this season been able to do in spite of their offense struggling. So I think this is a big game for Drew Locke. I think that he absolutely has to play better. He has to give them – you know, reason for optimism. He has to show a little bit of signs of life, especially against the Raider team that that dominated him the last game uh, they played. So I think in this game, I'm taking the home team and I'm taking the Denver Broncos to win it 24-20. That is the under and a Denver upset. So yeah, they will probably be on my upsets of the week this week. All right, six and nine Chargers at the 14 and one Chiefs. The uh, Chargers are three and a half point favorites with Patrick Mahomes not playing. Over, under in this one is 44. So Herbert made his NFL debut in week two against Kansas City. Kansas City won that game 23 20, but it was a much closer game than most people expected. Herbert in that game was 22 of 33, had his uh, 311 yards passing, almost nine and a half yards in attempt. One touchdown, one pick, and uh, he was sacked twice. And he ran four times for 18 yards and a touchdown. So, the Chargers, in the, in my opinion, in this game, are are a team. They've won three straight games. They're building. A, they're building momentum, and they're trying to establish a winning culture. I think Anthony Lynn will return in 2021. And you know what? If they don't make the playoffs in 2021, I think he'll be gone. But I think that. Or at least what I would do is keep him for one more season. I want to see if this continuity can can sustain, if this momentum can sustain. But if he goes out there and he loses to the Kansas City Chiefs, led by Chad Henney, and I think several of their starters will be will be benched, right? Just resting um, for the playoffs, which I don't agree with. But we talked about that, and I think last the other last podcast, um, if he loses this game to Kansas City, it could be it, it could be his job. Because I think that if they go out there and they win their final four games, if the Chargers have won three in a row, then I think you can keep him, right? But if you if you go out there and lose this one, I think you open the door for ownership to say, you know what? Let's just go ahead and move on, rip the band-aid off. Let's get you know get rid of this thing here. So ultimately, I do believe the Chargers will win this game. I think they'll win it pretty comfortably. 30 to 17. That's the LA cover and the over. All right, the Green Bay Packers, the 12-3 and 3 Packers at the Chicago Bears, the 8-7 Bears. This might be my favorite game of the week. It's definitely one of them because both of these teams are playing really well. Green Bay is a 4.5-point favorite. Over-under is 50 and a half. No one's resting starters here. Okay, the Bears have been winning, and they've been winning comfortably last week. I think 41-17 in Jacksonville. And the uh, Packers, so, okay, Bears have to win this game, and they're in. They win this game, they're in the playoffs. The Packers win this game and they get the number one seed in home field advantage throughout. So that's huge, obviously, for both teams. There is a situation where Green Bay could, I believe, um, no, yeah, I guess they'll either be one or two seed. But either way, being the one seed and being the two seed, there's a gigantic difference in that this year because – Uh, even more so than most years because there's only one team that gets a bye week So first meeting Green Bay won 41, 25. That was Trubisky's first game back. He had a pretty solid game, nothing spectacular. Aaron Rodgers, on the other hand, in that game was spectacular. 21 of 29, you know, just 211 yards, four touchdowns, zero picks at a QBR of 96.6. It's pretty insane. The Packers ran the ball in that game combined 39 carries for 182 and a score. Um, something worth noting: Akeem Hicks did not play in that game, and obviously, when you look at Chicago and what they've done for most of the season defensively against the run, and then you say, "Hey, they were without Hicks in that game," I think it's fair to say that that matters. Right? I think that Akeem Hicks is also, by the way, he's questionable for this game. I have a feeling he's going to suck it up and play um, if he can, of course. But so that's something worth noting. If they, if Akeem Hicks does play and the Packers are able to. Um, you know, kind of, I'm sorry, the uh, Bears are able to contain that Packers run game a little bit, then maybe things will get interesting, right? Um, David Montgomery in the previous game had 11 carries for 103. I'm talking about the previous game against Green Bay. And uh, Trubisky, as I mentioned, was decent, not great. 26 of 46, 242, three touchdowns, to two interceptions. But I thought he played better than what you would gather from reading that stat line. I think he showed, and that's kind of why he earned his starting job back, I think, unless Foles was still hurt. But to me, Trubisky just showed well in that game. You know, he, he just showed some heart, did some good things. Um, Khalil Mack, guys, he may not play in this one. But, man, over the last seven games, over the last seven games, this guy has one and a half sacks and two tackles for loss. If there was ever a spot for a get-right spot, for really a spot with there's no excuses, David Bakhtiari is out. Your season is on the line we gave up the world for you. You have to produce. We need a two sack game. We need a one and a half to two and a half or more sack game. We need a we need constant pressures. We need the difference maker we paid for when we traded for you and paid by the way. I think that's kind of really what this game's gonna come down to is Ken Khalil Mack. So first and foremost, can they stop the run to give themselves an opportunity to rush the passer? And if so, Can Khalil Mack do what he's supposed to do and dominate up front and finally be the game, uh, you know, kind of game changing player that they that they thought they were acquiring, which he has been at times. But the last two years, he's been pretty underwhelming in that regard, at least, you know, in terms of finishing plays. He has gotten consistent pressures. Yeah, that's fantastic. But guess what? You pressure Aaron Rodgers. He dices you up. You have to finish the play. You've got to get the sack in this game. um, Oh, by the way, the Bears, if they lose. They can still make the playoffs. They would need, and this sounds tough, a Rams win over Arizona. So if they lose and the Rams beat the Cardinals, the Bears are in. So keep that in mind, Bears fans, because I am picking picking the Green Bay Packers, and I really want to pick Chicago here, but I'm going to go with Green Bay because they're also on a roll. And... I just they're the better team. So I'm taking them 27-24. That's the over and that's the Chicago cover. I think it'll be closer than uh, what most people think. All right. Next game, the 11 and four Saints at the 5 and 10 Panthers. The Saints are seven point favorites. Over under this one is 47 and a half. It just came out that the Saints are going to be without their entire running back room, similar to what we saw from the uh, Browns last week against the Jets, right? Entire running back room Not playing this game. I just want you guys to know before I get to my prediction, my prediction is going to stay the same for this game. And I did. I made that prediction before I found out the news about the running back room. Let me explain. Carolina, my team has lost by two by two scores only twice this season and only to one team. And that's the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The Panthers defense has eight sacks in the last two games, 16 sacks, In the last five games, okay, 16 sacks in the last five games. Over the first 10 games, they had 10 sacks. So the pass rush, the young players are getting better. The pass rush is developing. Everybody on this young defense, it's all starting to come together. Jeremy Chin has established himself as really their best player, maybe one of the better players in the league already, in terms of at least at his position. And Carolina has only allowed 19.4 points per game over the last five games. Where's the one area where they have for some of the season been vulnerable, it's been against the run. Well, guess what? New Orleans doesn't even have a running back. I don't. I mean, they'll obviously have one come game day, but I don't even know who that would be. The point is, whoever that would be will be a guy that has not been on their active roster for, you know, at least not lately. So um, New Orleans won the first meeting 27-24 and that game. Drew Brees was 29 of 36 um that's 80 80.5% of his passes completed 287 two touchdowns zero picks and um you know Teddy Bridgewater by the way completed over 80% of his passes 82% 254 yards two touchdowns no picks teddy has not been so great lately though he has been over his last five games he has just four touchdowns the to three interceptions um he does have three in addition to the four passing touchdowns three rushing touchdowns as well but um It hasn't been pretty for Teddy lately. You know, things have clearly been on at least a little bit of a decline in terms of just overall production. But it also has to do with the fact that the Panthers have been allowing more pressure on Teddy. We've seen that pressure rate steadily increase the first game against Saints. uh, Bridgewater was pressured, which was still stands as the most uh, the highest rate of pressure in a game that in this season he was pressured 25.8 percent of his dropbacks in that game he was only sacked once and uh since that game the Saints defense has only improved right they they're allowing just 17.3 points per game in that span um over the last two games they have allowed 32 points and 33 points to the Chiefs and the Vikings um but ultimately guys all things considered I'm taking the Panthers I just feel like Matt Rule's going to have these guys ready to play. It's a game that they almost beat the Saints last time. I and mean, you remember Joey Sly missed that really, really long field goal. But look, the Carolina Panthers, to me, um, I think they're going to finish on a positive note. They went into Washington last week and really dominated that game from start to finish. Of course, they got a little close there towards the end. But that Panthers defense, to me, looks good. The secondary's been playing really well lately. And uh, Deshaun, uh, I'm sorry, Dante Jackson is becoming one of the better corners in the NFL, so I'm taking the Panthers to upset the Saints 24-20. That's the under, and a Panthers money line win. All right, the 6-9 Washington football team. This is the nightcap game, last game of the regular season. 6-9 Washington at 4-10-1 Philly. Washington is a a three-and-a-half point favorite, and the over-under in this one is 43-and-a-half. So as we all know, Philly is very banged up, right? They've got a ton of guys on the injury report that are probably not going to play this game. And all in all, when I look at this matchup for Jalen Hurts, I just think this is going to be tough, right? They, they sacked the Washington sacked Carson Wentz eight times in week one in a game where if you guys remember the Redskins, I mean, the uh, Eagles were up 17, zero Washington came back, rattled off 27 straight to win this game. So, This is going to be very interesting to see how Jalen Hurts is able to move the football and how he's able to efficiently get rid of the football against a Washington defense that sacked, like I said, Carson Wentz eight times. So I think that Doug Peterson will have a game plan to get the ball out of his hands quickly. I think the key for Washington is going to be to challenge everything in terms of how you play coverage. I don't think you should be sitting back in zone or at least not in a soft zone. I think you should be up on the line pressing because if you can get Jalen Hurst to just have to hold that ball for a tick longer than he wants to, I guarantee you, Washington is going to be able to get home. I feel like Chase Young is going to have a big game. I think Washington, the Washington football team is going to come out ready to play. They've already announced that Alex Smith is playing, so that's gigantic because he has a 68.1% winning percentage since 2011. Alex Smith consistently does the little things right? He does not hurt his team. We just talked about how earlier in the or I mean, uh, I think maybe this is on social media, but we were talking about Jameis Winston and how he is like this guy that just puts up these gaudy numbers and he's a really dynamic player, right? Imagine if Jameis Winston just, you gave away some of that explosiveness for a little bit more caution, right? A little bit, a little bit better taking care of the football. You would have a great quarterback, an undeniably great quarterback. Alex Smith doesn't have any of the dynamic ability that Jameis Winston has. He doesn't, right? Especially right now, he's just a guy that he's going to find the underneath a lot of times. He's gonna he's gonna push the ball down the field when he knows he can or when he feels like he has to. But for the most part, what he isn't going to do is he's not going to hurt you. He's going to make the safe play and the positive play. Right? If it's if it's second eight, Alex Smith trying to get four. You know what I mean? He, he wants to set it up to be third and four, third and three, third and two. And he's able to consistently get, you know, those conversions when that when that when those situations arise. So Washington, to me, is the healthier team. They even though they lost last week, I think they still have the momentum. I think they are a dominant defense. And I think that defense is going to be too much for the Philadelphia Eagles and Jalen Hurts uh, this weekend and uh, tomorrow. I'm taking the Washington football team to win this game. 23 to 17, and then Washington gets in the playoffs after I believe it was a 2 and 7 start, 2 and 6 start. Yeah, so congrats to the Washington football team. I believe you will be in the playoffs, and congrats to what, in my opinion, is the comeback player of the year, and Alex Smith. So, anyways, guys, that's what I've got for you in this episode. I'm going to drop another one either later on today or tomorrow. I want to talk about the rookies. I'm sorry, the uh, college prospects, and I also. I um, want to talk a little bit about the upsets and locks of the week in the, uh, for week 17. So anyways, I'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening. Peace.